Tanya for the 11th day of Teves, Yudalus Teves, is at the beginning of chapter 8, Pedic Ches of Tanya, where the Alter Rebbe continues to explain the difference between that which is Klippa, that is redeemable, Klippa Smega, that has a little bit of goodness to it, which can become holiness when used L'Shem Shemayim, it can also be elevated out of Klippa. After it had descended into the totally dark Klippa, it can then be regained or redeemed from that Klippa by going back to serving God, whereas that which is totally dark Klippa, that which is prohibited, that you have to do a very special tshuva in order to bring it back to holiness, in order to release it from from its imprisonment in unholiness. And that's why it's called asur, asur meaning tied and bound to unholiness, which means that the divine spark in it is so deeply captured, so imprisoned in the klippa that it takes heroic measures to get it out. And those heroic measures are either the coming of Mashiach, at which time all unholiness will be removed from the world, or a tshuva out of ahava, the kind of tshuva that turns a sin into a mitzvah. Now, chapter 8. The Eidze is the another thing about forbidden foods, or anything that is forbidden. Shalakach nikroim b'shem isur, which would explain why it is called isur, tied and bound, another aspect of being tied to klipa, in addition to the fact that it takes a very intense tshuva to release the godliness that is in the klipa, in the forbidden klipa. The other reason is, that, for example, a person ate a forbidden food, but not knowing that it was forbidden. So he had no intention of sinning. In fact, he ate it l'shem shamayim. He was eating it for a heavenly purpose. He wasn't eating it merely to gain strength, which would make it klipas noiga, but he was eating it to gain strength in order to serve God. So his kavana was l'shem shamayim. V'gam po'al came, And not only did he have such an intention, but he actually did it as well. V'koro v'hispalil b'keyach He went and he learned and he davened with the energy that he got from that food. So he ate it innocently. He had a kavana l'shem shamayim. And then he actually used the energy for a mitzvah. Yet, because the food is from forbidden klipa, from the totally dark klipa, the energy, the life, which comes from godliness, the energy of this food does not connect and does not join and, and, and become absorbed in the mitzvah that the person is now doing with that energy. They remain separate. The energy doesn't flow into the act of the mitzvah as permissible food energy would. Because it is captive, it is imprisoned in the klipa, which is the totally dark klipa. So unlike the permissible, unlike the klipa sniga, which when you do a mitzvah with it, it flows into the mitzvah, it, it, it blends with the mitzvah and becomes part of the mitzvah, that which is prohibited 
even if it's used or eaten innocently, not knowing that it isn't kosher, and it is eaten with shem shemayim, and it is used to do a mitzvah with, the mitzvah and the food remain two separate things, and the food does not merge into the mitzvah. And even if the prohibition against the eating of this particular food is a rabbinic prohibition, because in, in a certain in a certain sense, the prohibitions of the sages are even more stringent than than the prohibitions of the Torah itself. In other words, the unholiness, the klipa, which the rabbis revealed and said, "This is unholy; we shouldn't eat it," is just as unholy if not more unholy than, than that which Torah describes as unholy. So the result of all of this is, the conclusion is, that even the Yetzirah, the desire, the, the perception of pleasure in that which is prohibited, is an unnatural condition for a Jew. Because even the animal soul of a Jew comes from Klippas Neiga. So by nature it should be attracted to those things that are also Klippas Neiga. Kosher food, kosher relationships and so on. But the desire for those things that are prohibited, the prohibited things come from the totally dark Klippa. So that they are unnatural even to the animal soul of the Jew. Those desires are natural to the non-Jew whose neshama, whose soul, also comes from the totally dark klipa. And therefore it is natural to be attracted to those things that are totally dark klipa, the non-kosher foods. But for the Jew to desire them, this is a foreign demon. Whereas the desire and the craving for those things that are permissible, not for any heavenly purpose, but simply to satisfy one's appetite, this is considered a Jewish demon, a native demon, native to the Jew. Because it can be reverted to holiness as mentioned above so that it belongs to the same category as the animal soul of the Jew and it is therefore natural that he should desire that the animal soul should desire it however even with until he goes back to Kedusha it is unholiness it is Klippa in fact, this is how a Jew comes into contact and becomes vulnerable to those desires that are unnatural to him. That we called before foreign demons, the demons of other people. How does this come to a Jew? We see that Jews do, do have desires for those things that are prohibited. And if it's unnatural to him, even to his animal soul, where does it come from? It comes from the fact that when he indulges in that which is permissible, which is called the Jewish demons, temporarily, as we learned earlier, this klipas nega descends into the totally dark klipa, and the Jew is absorbing this totally dark klipa. 
and that's what makes him vulnerable, what exposes him to the totally dark klipa so that he develops a passion or an appetite even for them. And even after he does tshuva, some trace remains of this unholiness in the body. Even if he does tshuva immediately, but in that in that moment, in that instant, when he ate the non-kosher, when he ate the food, and dragged it down into the level of totally dark klipa, his body already immediately absorbs that that food, and it becomes flesh and blood of his body. And that's why the body has to be purified in the grave, to cleanse him and to purify him from this unholiness that he received when he indulged in the enjoyment of worldly things. To be cleansed of this klipas nega, which is a Jewish klipa, a, a local klipa, and through that also exposed him to the totally dark klipa. And so the suffering in the grave is the purification, the removal of those traces of unholy klipa, of the totally dark klipa that clings to the body. Elohim Cain, and this is necessary for every human being, other than the exception, one who never indulged in, in the pleasure of this world, as Rabbeinu HaKadosh, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, the author of the Mishnah, of whom it says that he never enjoyed or took pleasure in this world, even to the extent of his small finger, of his pinky. Such a person doesn't need to undergo the suffering of the grave because the body needs no purification. So this is another thing about unkosher, non-kosher food, prohibited foods, that even when you eat them in, innocently and with heavenly intention and use it for a mitzvah, it does not merge with the mitzvah and does not become part of the mitzvah. and concerning permissible chatter, idle chatter, that is innocent, for example, idle chatter is sinful because you're supposed to be studying Torah at the time. But where is it innocent? When a person can't study Torah. He doesn't have the intelligence to study. And therefore, for him, the idle chatter would be innocent, permissible. Even that needs to be cleansed. Those idle chatter sessions leave their trace on the body and it has to be cleansed. What is the, me- the method that is used to clean the soul, not the body, the soul, from the trace of tuma that comes from idle chatter, from idle talk? The method is kafakela. Kafakela means the hollow of a sling. It means that the soul is thrown from one end of the world to the other. And that's like shaking out a mat or a blanket to get the dust out of it. 
That's concerning idle chatter, which is permissible, innocent, and therefore klipas noiga. But those kinds of conversation or speech that are prohibited, such as scoffing and slander and the like, they come from the totally dark klipa, they are prohibited, then then the the sling the the shaking shaking out the soul will not be enough to cleanse it of these words of these conversations but it needs to descend into Gehenna which is a, a, a deeper kind of purification, a stronger form of purification, in order to get rid of this trace of Tumah. And the same is true also for a person who could have been studying Tayra. Not like the ignorant person whose lack of study of Torah is beyond his control, but somebody who could have been studying Tayra and instead engaged in idle chatter, this is already a sinful idle chatter. Here again, the sling alone can't cleanse the soul and scour it properly. Because this is klipas, uh, it is from the totally dark klipa, and to cleanse that, is a more is a more difficult job and takes a greater kind of cleansing. Instead, there are severe penalties which are applied to the uh, wasting of time from the study of Torah. Besides the, the general punishment that comes for the neglect of any positive mitzvah, machmas atzlus. It, it comes as a result of laziness or a disinclination, a, uh, a coldness to the mitzvah. And therefore, the punishment of the, le- the failure to perform a mitzvah is Gehenim Shoshelig. There's a purgatory of snow, or a Gehenim of snow, or of ice, a cold Gehenim. And this is because of the coldness that one fell towards a mitzvah, as is explained elsewhere. In the, in the desire to do a sin, in the passion that drives a person to do a sin, this is an unwarranted warmth, and therefore the punishment would be the Gehenim of fire, the hot Gehenim. So, in, this, in the wasting of time from the study of Torah, in addition to the general punishment that comes for the neglect of any mitzvah, and that is the punishment for the coldness and the indifference, which is the Gehenna of, of ice, there's, a, there's an additional punishment specifically for not studying Torah. Now, the study of sciences, the wisdom of the nations, will be included in the category of idle chatter, in, in terms of failure to study Torah, when there was a chance to study Torah, if you're studying other subjects instead, that would be included in wasting time from the study of Torah. 
as is explained in the laws of the study of Torah. So, the person who has an opportunity to study Torah and instead studies other subjects, this would be included in the totally dark klipa. Not only klipa sinaiga, an innocent klipa, but a sinful klipa. The eidzeis. And not only is the study of the other sciences or other subjects when you could have been studying Torah equal to eating non-kosher food, for example, but in a sense it's even worse. Yeseira tu mosa shel chokmas umes al tumas dvarim betelim. The tuma, the unholiness of the of the sciences of secular subjects, is greater than the unholiness of idle talk. How so? In idle talk, einle mal b'shemetame rakamidays miyseid haruach hakodesh abenafshehalikis. When a person engages in idle chatter, he is contaminating, he is defiling only this one element within. The, within the soul, the element of air. Because we learned earlier that idle chatter comes from the element of air. So the element of air corrupts the element of air within the godly soul. Bitumas klipas mega, and its tuma is that of klipas mega. Shebedvarim betelim haboyim yisayid haruach harasha beklipazu benafshe habahamiz kedoyil. It's coming from his animal soul. His animal soul is klipas mega. So the element of air of the animal soul is producing this idle talk and it corrupts or defiles the element of air in the godly soul. But it doesn't affect the, the intelligence of his soul. It doesn't affect the of his godly soul. Since this idle talk is foolish and ignorant, meaningless talk, even the fools and the ignoramuses can speak the same way so it's not engaging the mind at all and therefore it doesn't corrupt the mind which is not the case in the, in the secular subjects it engages and therefore defiles the mental faculties the Chachma bin Adas, the intellect of his godly soul, the Tumas Klipas Nega with the Tuma, the unholiness of Klipas Nega, which the secular subjects represent. How does this wisdom come into Klipa? How can wisdom be unholy? So the Rebbe says, those who study Kabbalah know that the wisdom and the knowledge of the sciences of the secular subjects are the hind part of true wisdom, of Chachma, of holiness, of Kedusha, and it fell in the Shvira Sakewin, it fell into secular into the secular uh, universe, into the secular setting. So that the study of secular subjects can contaminate the mind whereas idle chatter doesn't contaminate the mind. And so, in a sense, the sin that involves the brain is a greater damage than those sins that involve lesser parts of the body or fewer parts of the body. Elo in Cain. However, every klipas we said earlier, 
is an in-between stage between holiness and the totally dark klipa, and therefore can go either way. It can become part of holiness, or it can become part of the totally dark klipa. So this klipa shnega, the secular subject, must also be able to be elevated into holiness. So the Rebbe says, unless he employs this knowledge, the secular knowledge, as a useful instrument, like a hoe to, to hoe with, if he does it for a heavenly purpose, as with any other Kripas Naga, if he engages in these sciences or in these su- subjects with a heavenly purpose, being in order to support himself so that he be free to serve God with a with a with presence of mind, with peace of mind, then as with all other Kripas Naga, when used with Shem Shamayim, it is elevated to holiness. However, this is not true of every part of secular science. Not every secular science can be used to make a living with. Not all knowledge is useful for employment. What about those subjects and that knowledge which can't be used to make a living with? How are they elevated to holiness? So the Alter Rebbe says, Oy, another possibility is, He knows how to use this knowledge in the service of God in the performance of Torah and Mitzvahs. And this was the reason or the justification of the Rambam or the Ramban and people of their of their of their status who engaged in sciences and in secular subjects even though they were not using it to make a living with. We know for example that the Rambam studied medicine while his brother supported the family. Later on his brother died in an accident, in a ship accident, and the Rambam had to support himself. But that was not the motivation Making a living, supporting himself, was not the motivation which led the Rambam to study medicine. So the Rebbe says that these people, people on the level of the Rambam, Ramban, they studied secular subjects not on the grounds that it will help them make a living, because that would leave out many subjects from which you can't make a living. Rather, they studied it because they knew how to use that knowledge in serving God. Actually, the Gemara says that there was a sage who spent months living with a shepherd and uh, did this only for the purpose of learning from the shepherd what is a passing wound and what is a permanent wound. Because that's necessary to know in the laws of, kash, in the laws of uh, sacrifices. When an animal has a, has a wound, a, a mum what is a passing wound, what is a permanent wound, and so on. So we see that that knowledge, although it is secular, can be used in the service of God. The same as also studying mathematics in order to figure out the Jewish calendar. How to, how to, how to predict the, uh, the leap year and to establish the holidays at the right times and so on. For this you need mathematics, astronomy. So why does the Alter Rebbe have to use the Rambam and Ramban 
as an example of people who studied secular subjects in order to serve God better, knowing how to use them in the service of God, we have all these stories in the Talmud that which came first, much earlier, in which sages went to learn secular subjects because it was necessary in the service of God. But here also, not every subject, not every secular subject can be so obviously useful in the fulfillment of a mitzvah. It's true that to make a Jewish calendar you need mathematics. In order to determine whether an animal is wounded or not wounded, you need to know something about, uh, about biology. But not every subject can so obviously lend itself to a particular mitzvah. And that's why the Rebbe, the Alpha Rebbe, uses the example of the Rambam and Ramban because they weren't looking for information in the secular world, in secular knowledge, information that will help them fulfill a particular mitzvah. They studied the subject first, knowing, as the Alpha Rebbe says, knowing that sooner or later it will come in useful in the service of God not necessarily in the fulfillment of a mitzvah or in being able to understand the terms of the mitzvah or the conditions under which the mitzvah can be performed and so on but rather on a higher level a way of using the knowledge itself in the service of God and in that way all klipas nega can under certain circumstances, be elevated to holiness. In the Hayyim Yim, for the 11th of Teves, the Rebbe writes, the mentions Lebem is totally in them avir. person's life depends on the air that he breathes. Where he lives and where, where he dwells, the air determines his life. On avir, kemenish Lebem. Without air, a person can't live. And the quality of the air in which a person lives, that determines the quality also of his life. When we live in an atmosphere of Teira and Mitzvahs, then life itself is healthier. When you live in an atmosphere of Kfira, then it is Akrankyalebim. And you're constantly in the danger of coming down with a contagious disease. In other words, the kfiza is in the air and it is contagious. In general, making life healthier, bringing people back to, to good health, the first step is to find clean air. The Arbet Santara Sa'avir licked of the Yede Sefer and Yede Teira. This work of cleaning the air, purifying the, the atmosphere, is up to those who have studied and who know how to learn. Tara Sa'avir is the Asiya Sa'avir because cleansing the air comes through the words or the letters of Teira. The Mishtet and Stur other than the gate and gas, other than the fort and subway, standing in the store, going in the street, or riding on the subway, and in that time, in the streets, in the subway, in the store, when we say words of Torah, 
letters of Torah, this is how we clean the air. Anyone who has learned and knows a little bit of learning has to have something memorized by heart. Chumish, Tilim, Mishnai, Either of Chumish or Tilim, which is the written Torah, or Mishnai, Tanya, which is the oral Torah. Azei, as to Yedet Zeit, on in Yedet Art, so that at all times and wherever he may be, he should be able to think and say the holy letters of Torah.